Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 453, Packs Unplugged Hotness for 2023. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey friends, we are back and we are back from Packs Unplugged 2023, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Anthony, we were there. We did a thing. We were there, yes. I'm still here. Ah, uh, okay. I was outside this morning. I'm like, guys, where, where the games go? <laughs> That's how much you loved PAX, that you just could not leave. Yeah, yeah. Now it's just a big empty building. Aw. Getting ready for some publishing nonsense. Who knows? Are, are you sure it's, I don't know are you sure it's not because they made you walk around the whole, you know, four city blocks to be able to get to that one entrance? Oh my god! <laughs> I I don't know who it is. The thing is, it's like somebody was saying, like, "Oh no, it's the convention center staff with the security." And I'm like, "I maybe whoever it is, is figure it out. It's dumb. I don't like it." I mean, the thing about PAX has always been that they are very overly, but very secure in their yeah. all of their security efforts and measures and things like that. So whether it's outside or inside, and I get it. You know, one entrance, one exit, until maybe later in the day where you can kind of escape through the side. Man, that that line wrapped right. around the the convention center twice. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it was bad on Saturday morning, especially. Like 
well, like Saturday, it was sold out, um, and it was incredibly crowded. Yes. Like everything, I, like there was nowhere to sit, there was nowhere to eat. Yeah. The line, like I knew people who got in the line around ten. They didn't get into the building until like a quarter after eleven. Sure. It's I I don't I don't know if it's worse than previous years because we tend to avoid that line pretty well, but. It, it seemed more crowded than normal. It seemed bigger. Yeah, they don't release official numbers, but having been there every year that they've had it, Friday was, at least it felt busier than it had in previ- uh, previous years. Um, Part of that... Yeah, Friday... Friday Good. Yeah, no, Friday felt busy. Um, It always feels light, but then this year it felt like normal, not light. Light. It felt. If Friday felt like a Saturday, we got. Yeah, Friday felt like a Saturday. Like there was that many people on Friday that it felt like a Saturday, and then Saturday felt like intense. Saturday was pretty intense as far as people. Saturday was very crowded. Yeah, I brought my son in on Saturday, and he made it about four hours, which good for him because I I barely made it further than that (laughs) after I brought him home. Like it was a lot. Um. Sunday was nice and chill. The family day it wasn't nearly as crazy. Yeah, it dropped off on Sunday, but Friday and Saturday, I think I would guess, I would wager that it had higher numbers than the last couple of years. It it felt it felt packed. It was hot. It was super hot. A lot of people were asking if the heat was on or if it was just that many people yeah. there. And the only other thing I could put my finger on is they had this really crazy extensive you know, Larcana uh setup so like if you wanted something for Robinsberger, you had to go through like this maze of metal pipes and poles to get around and i don't think that was ever really utilized to its full potential i think they expected gen con people and they did not see that yeah the the lorcana it always had a line mm-hmm. and i know that because starting saturday morning there was a game that my son wanted from that booth and I was not willing to stand in the line for it because I was not buying Larkana. But it was never that long. No. Like the Gen Con line was like an hour long. It was never no. that long. It was like, you know, outside the booth down and into that little metal cage a little bit. So and they didn't sell out of Lorcana until like three or four o'clock every day. Yeah. So if you wanted Lorcana at PAX, it wasn't that hard to no. get. No. And I think that like you said, the metal cage, so to speak, I think it was, it was a whole C or something like you walked in and that, mm-hmm. you know, that line protection structure thing that they built up so that like the crowds wouldn't rush the, the main booth was huge. And it was right up front. It was, you know, it, it, it took up a lot of space. So yeah. maybe we lost some yeah. table and space it, from it, that. It's possible. For sure. Yeah. And like they put their queuing system in there too, which I think sometimes is in the past has been elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. I don't know what else they could have done. There's a whole downstairs, yeah, and like empty. I know doubling the space is probably a bit much, but like there is an entire downstairs. The the convention center has two floors, so if they really need to expand, there's a lot more room they could work. Yeah, I I think that because it was so packed on Friday and because Saturday was so packed, I think having been to all these conventions, all these different places. I never, like, I understand it's packed. I think that this one I felt like they could have given more rooms to the aisle, like, you know, as far as Mm -hmm. the aisle goes. I think they were much more narrow. They were narrower than they had been in previous years, or at least it felt that way. I I know that there was, like, one or two aisles, like, oh, this is nice. I could walk on this. Even if there's a large crowd, 
this one was like back to back in some situations. So I don't know if they condensed the space because again, yeah, it, no numbers, but yeah, it felt that way. It was weird though because with the big booths, it was still pretty wide, mm-hmm. but with the smaller booths, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't walk no. down those aisles. Like if if people were looking at things on either side, you couldn't get yeah, through. Yeah, true. Like it was three people wide, and that was it. Um, like even the the far end of the Gen Con convention center it's not that no it's not so it was it was a little yeah i would i would like for them to open up other entrances i understand it takes additional security to do that but again in past years security was so immensely tight and i think this year was the year that was kind of lackadaisical in some respects like i mean you almost got shook down there were signs everywhere there was people everywhere this year was a little bit more just walk through like wait wait (laughs) ah you can come through but the the yeah, doors for the yeah. building, I think that was a little bit of an issue. I would love for them to open up a second entrance exit just to kind of make it a little more easy to get in the building. Because, again, uh, PAX was great. Philly was great. But it did rain for two days. And when it's raining, yeah. you don't want to have to walk around several city blocks to get to the entrance. No. No, I felt bad for anybody who had to do that. Uh, we came in Sunday morning and I was like, please don't let there be a line. And there wasn't. Because it was Sunday. Yes, there you go. Because I had my daughter with me. I had some of your games with me. And I was like, I don't need to be wet right now. It's true. So, yeah, PAX Unplugged this past weekend. Uh, Great time. Great to see everybody. And we have a whole episode about all the greatness and fun. The ups and downs, the lefts and rights. Mostly because you're walking through that Larkana line. Uh, Anthony, another year of PAX, right? So, beyond the lines, beyond the entrances, beyond the heat. (laughs) <laughs> that you were sweating in the tables that we could not find. Uh, it was another PAX. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was another PAX. Yeah, I wouldn't say anything was significantly different than past no. years. Like, everything we're talking about is like, like small things. Yeah, a little uh, more crowded, a little was... hotter, a little less table space. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, people were nice. Things were there. Yeah. Everybody had games. A lot of them sold out. Not all of them sold out. It was it was like the same rough vibe and flow, minus the rain. Um, I don't think we've had rain before on PAX weekend. It doesn't usually rain this time nope. of year, honestly. And it, it hasn't rained like the previous month before this here in Philly, almost at all. So it was a little annoying that it rained so much last week. But um, it did, so we were trapped inside. But otherwise, yeah, it's PAX, man. PAX. <laughs> so what did we see at PAX, my friend? Yeah, so we saw, we mentioned the crowds, crowds. we mentioned Lorcana. there's not, not much more to say about Lorcana. Uh Nobody stayed online, thankfully. I think nobody, uh, yeah. nobody stole a pallet of magic cards, at least not that we know of yet. That, not yet, not yet that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it was a lot of fun, and there was so, plenty of new-ish games, right? Like, the thing about PAX is you don't get the brand new releases that you get at Gen Con or Essen. Um, you get games that came out at Gen Con or Essen. So, like, the vibe I always get at PAX is, remember all those games that were sold out at Gen Con that you were running around and sold out in an hour? Uh, at PAX, there's a million of them. So you can get World Wonders or Three Ring Circus or any of these games that were hard to find. They're, they're all over the place. And then some of those games that came out at Essen, they got those too. Um, so there wasn't, like, anything, at least not for me, that was, like, worth, like, breaking down walls for. Um, Dire Wolf had the new Dune Imperium uprising there. It's 
been out for a little bit of time, but they had a million copies because they still had some on Sunday. Um, the Queen Games had ridiculously overpriced copies of all the new Feld City games that they were not able to sell because they were also still there on Sunday. $150 for just a copy of a a new game. Like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Like, like, hey, you know how those Kickstarter prices were stupid high? They're even higher now in retail. Like, cool. I wonder from... I wonder from their point of view or from anyone's point of view at this point now, you know, as a company, you're coming to a convention and in past iterations of conventions and past years, Kickstarter was somewhat of a thing, but now that it is the thing as far as marketing and selling your games, when they come to a convention, how do they manage the Kickstarter extra copies that they purchase to bring to the cons as you mentioned, these were more expensive, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Again, depending on what you feel you should be owed as far as backing the Kickstarter exclusive exclusivity, coming to a con paying for that. But it was odd what the different booths did, and Queen just had like a a wall full of their Kickstarter stuff, and it was like you said, higher prices, and a lot of it's just you know variations of each other. Because it's, it's the Felds. It's the Fell Cities collections. <clears throat> right, yeah. There's like three versions of each of those games now. Because you have like, here's the full game. And then here's the basic game. And here's the Essential Edition. And even the Essential Edition is like $80. Sure. So, and I from their perspective, they're like, well, these don't go to retail. This is the only way to buy them if you didn't back the Kickstarter. Like, yeah, but why are you marking it up? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And that's... It's, it rubs me the wrong way as much as the Kickstarter rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, I mean, look, I... I... I could do a whole podcast <laughs> on on the yeah. on the the Stefan Feld uh, city city series. I own four of them. I didn't pick up the other two, and then again, more and more stories about that. But again, Kickstarter and conventions—they're so antithetical to each other. Like conventions are the place that you go to see new stuff for the first time, and yet Kickstarter has kind of undercut that com- almost completely because. Yeah. You know, back in the day, we we went to Gen Con or we went to PAX or we went to Origins or any of these other conventions to see the new games, to to hear about the new games, to so like to patiently wait until the to the I, I guess the flight report from Fancy Flight to let us know what's coming out, and then you would run back to the booth to see them unveil this new miniature game that typically would fail, but nonetheless, it was exciting, it was special, it was cool, <laughs> and. And it was like, it was the highlight, right? What was coming out that day? What was coming out that weekend? How many copies did they have? I'd be able to see for the first time, but Kickstarter kind of preempts all that. So it's like, oh, I've seen all your games already. I've seen the, I've seen the playthroughs and I've ordered it two years ago. So maybe I'll get it. I don't know. So it's, it's always weird when you go to conventions and a lot of the boots just have the stuff that they had on Kickstarter one or two years ago. So maybe if you did not back, and now you won't have the opportunity to purchase, I guess. I mean, typically a lot of the companies in their Kickstarter page will give that add that caveat to it. It's like, we will not sell this retail. And then like little fine letters, like we'll sell it, lot, we'll sell it on our website and at conventions. <laughs> You're just like, all right. <laughs> so I don't know how exclusive that is, but nonetheless, they were there. The Felds were there. Not Stefan Feld. The Felds were there. But his lesser games were there. Yes, yes. 
So they were there. Uh, no one was buying them. There were way too much money. Uh, and, and honestly, there weren't like a lot of big surprises. Like, oh, that's a new thing I've never heard of. The only one I found throughout the whole weekend, and that doesn't mean there weren't others, but the only one I personally found where I was like, oh, I didn't know that was coming out, is Cascadia Flip and Roll and Ride. Uh-huh. There's two new games coming out uh, with the Cascadia formula with a Flip and Roll and Ride, which I'm like, sure, I'll buy it. <laughs> I'm excited about it in the sense that it's Cascadia, sure. but I'm not like, oh my gosh. So it's uh, it's an interesting con because it's, it's always like this. It's not like, it wasn't a bad year. It wasn't a down year. If this was Gen Con and there was nothing surprising, I'm like, what the heck? But it's PAX and it's the end of the year. And it's it's really just about collecting all the best of stuff that came out in 2023. Mm-hmm. And then all the new stuff that is just now becoming available at the end of 2023. So, you know, you had things like Undergrove was there with Elizabeth Hargrave teaching it at the AEG booth, which is great. But hey, guess what? That's a Kickstarter. So. <laughs> Not not as exciting as it could be because they didn't have copies and it's coming whenever they actually publish it or, or print it. Sure. So who knows, right? Um, I mentioned Dune Imperium Uprising. That's cool and new, but it's also been kind of promoted for the last month and a half because of all the, the early marketing. Yeah, stuff. and you could pick it up in some um, other places. Yeah, yeah, it's not hard yep. to find. Um, so, so that's kind of the general vibe. I think the only other game that we were surprised by not surprised because we knew it existed out in the realm somewhere, but didn't know it was going to be there or have a sense of was defenders of the realm two point. Right. <laughs> yep. So this is one that like, I know you immediately kind of latched onto when you saw it, right? Yeah, no, I was surprised greater than games is releasing a, and again, we didn't get a chance to play it. So somewhat of a, somewhat of a total re-envisioning of the game. So it's different artwork, uh, looks like slightly different game style, definitely, definitely miniatures. It has more of a greater than games kind of anime kind of look to it. So um, that was interesting to see because we, for many years, uh, we had talked to the people over at, well, we had talked to several people over the years about Defenders Around because we always were waiting for the second edition to come out. Eagle Griffin Games, we spoke to the owner at one point, and he was like, it's going to come out. It's going to be this amazing second edition. It's going to have this legacy model to it. We're like, oh, it's amazing. And then they never did it. And then they released on, I don't know if it was on their website or on Kickstarter, somewhere on the crowdfunding sites, you could back some upgraded pieces and boards and things like that, which I did. So... It was really surprising to see that Greater Than Games actually had, uh, you know, a new version of it. And again, not expecting that Greater Than Games of all places would have it either. Right. Yeah. It's pretty. Like it's bright. It's got like a small world aesthetic in terms of like primary color. Yeah. It's not the it's not uh, the Larry Elmore artwork that was classic D and D to it. So. Yeah. I think it's good. I looked at the artwork. I looked at the pieces. I looked at the board. Like you said, Anthony had that. Very colorful, bright, engaging kind of family sense. I would say the only downside, again, because, again, you can't match Larry Elmore's artwork, period. But I think it looked a little generic. I think it it might have an opportunity just to kind of fall away amongst other things. But it's going to be on some, was it Backer Kid? Some some backing, (laughs) some crowdfunding site uh, at this time, I guess, some point, February? I think it was February they were talking about. 
Yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch the date, but like early next yeah, year. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's... If you take a look at our Facebook page, we're a little, little burnt out from the convention, but I posted, I don't know, 200 pictures on there. And one of the pictures, or multiples of the pictures, is that setup. So <laughs> check it right. out on our Facebook. It's in there. It's in there. I promise it's yep. in there. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll cover that more when it's up on Kickstarter or BackerKit or whatever the heck it is <laughs> next year. Um, uh, another one, too, that we kind of stopped and we we looked at but didn't have a chance to demo fully uh just because the tables are full was the new game from paverson games luthier mm-hmm. which we've talked about a little before but this is another one that's coming out on crowdfunding in the next few months so if, if you sense a theme here lots of games that have been announced for crowdfunding sites so we already know they exist the game itself doesn't exist yeah. yet so it's just people at booths showing off what the game will be in a year or two um which is why it becomes difficult to get excited or review the games at this point because the games aren't done and they're all prototypes. Yeah. So. This is from the people who made distilled, which was right. there. But again, if you backed it, it's, it's everyone there. This is uh Paverson games. So, uh, yeah. So at some point, 2024, there will be another Kickstarter thing. I like distilled. I thought it was a solid game and this looks better. This looks really interesting. It does have the historical characters from those periods and smaller footprint. Absolutely. And again, there are pictures on Facebook, so check those out. Yes, please, please go there. There's like 250, 240. Look, I took like a that. lot of pictures, and I got a lot of dirty looks. People are like, why are you taking our picture? I'm like, uh, media? Media, media. That's it, that's it. We're- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the candid shot of Elizabeth Hargrave. And in the picture, she's just talking to somebody, but as soon as after you took the photo, she looked over like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it was great. <laughs> she's a famous like, person. Media, yeah. coverage. What are you going to do? And generally, I like that idea of, I mean, my, I don't know. How would you want to say it? Like, my photographic, you know, like, artistic sensibility is take the picture in the action, in the moment that people are having, and then run to the next one. So, you yeah. know, not these yeah. kind of stage <laughs> photos where everyone's smiling and have their mouth, like, drop dead open like they saw the second coming. So, uh, <laughs> these are real pictures, real action, real gamers. Uh, real designers and publishers doing a thing. So love it, hate it. I don't know. It's there. I've been doing it for 10 years. I think it works. Gives you that sense of the convention. Yeah. 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 No, I, I love photos like that. All the, the stage stuff is annoying. Yeah. Um. All right. So that's some of the stuff we saw. And there's, again, several hundred photos if you want to see more of the stuff we saw. <laughs> um, but what about the games that we engaged? With? Oh, that right? happened? So. Yeah, there was okay. games. Uh, so we we played a fair number of games. I will say a lot of them were a little bit older. Like we met meeting up with people that we know, getting older games to the table, just engaging with friends. It's, this is the con at which we do that. Everybody kind of comes together. It's very close to where we all live. Um, but there were a few new games that got a chance to, to hit the table. One that did not, because every time we cycled by it, people were like, stalking the table and jumping into the seats was evacuation um i know both of us tried to get seats at this at this game and it just did not work out so one of the hotter games in the first look section which again if, if you don't remember the first look section section they bring in all these games from europe stuff that came out at essen or recently first chance to play it in the u.s often um and the people this year the enforcers the the game hosts they seem to know the rules to most of these games, which was a pleasant surprise. Because in past years, that wasn't always the There case. were less of them, um, but the ones that they were there did know what they were doing. So, 
appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, but unfortunately, because of that, we didn't get to play evacuation because there was always someone there to teach people how to play. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that one coming up in the future. Uh, one game we did get a chance to play, though, um, one of the big ones is Nucleum. So this is the new game from Simone Luciani and David Turchi. Uh, and we got a chance to play this Friday night. Uh, it took, how long did this take? Like three, three and a half hours? Give or take. Give or take people having yeah, to so run it's, off. It's a, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of pause breaks for that. Um, so this is a game about, and, and I know like everybody's kind of describing it as like a mishmash of like barrage and brass. Um, I would I would say it doesn't necessarily skew too hard to either of those games, except aesthetically in the sense of what Brass is doing, right? With the you have tableau of tiles in front of you that represent different locations. You place those on the board, they do things, you power them, they flip over. Right. There's definitely brass inspirations here, but it doesn't play anything like that, which ultimately I think caused more trouble than good throughout the game, at least the first half of the game. Because you expect it to work like brass, and then it doesn't, which is not the game's fault. That's just what happens. Um, the, in the game, though, what you're what you're doing is you are putting out buildings, laying tracks, and trying to power things up using coal and uranium in these nucleum plants, right? And there's a lot of other things going on, right? It's not just that. We're, brass is very focused and central in t- terms of what you're doing. This game has contracts that you can complete. It has milestones that you can work towards. It has endgame scoring in so many endgame scoring. Like, I think the endgame scoring took us a half an hour. So it's a little bit more point salad in this sense. Like, you can feel the Luciani and the Turchi in there. Um, but the core mechanic of the game, the thing that you're doing every round, is you're taking these action tiles. You start with five of them. And you're either placing it above your player board to take both actions or you're placing it on the main board, the, the map, and you're taking whatever actions match up with the colors of the cities that you're placing it next to. And then those actions let you do all sorts of different things, right? And they chain together with, you know, other various potential things you can do. Um, so the game ends up becoming about managing the resource that is action tiles, because if you place them on the map, they don't come back. And if you have too few of them, you can't do very much. So you have to make sure you're getting enough new ones, balance where they go in front of your board, your income is determined by how many of those action tiles you place above your boards. If you put too many on the map, you're not getting any income when you refresh. Uh, and then there's a, multiple timers in the game that will determine how long it goes. There's five potential end game triggers. Any two of them will trigger the end of the game. So if people go crazy on contracts, that's one of them. If people buy up all the action tiles, that's another one. Uh, if if somebody completes all their technologies, because you all have unique technologies that you can upgrade that give you like special abilities throughout the game. There's a lot going on here. At the end of the day, though, the basic mechanic is just play that action tile and do what it says. And then all the other pieces kind of move around that. So I found it to be a little bit cumbersome in terms of overhead in learning initially. But once you get the flow of the game, you know, like halfway through, it is relatively intuitive to the sense that everything you're doing kind of flows in the same direction. Um, although, again, when we get to the end game scoring, I I don't know how you prepare for all of those things if you haven't played the game a few times. There's a lot going on. There were things there and I'm like, oh, I scored those points. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. 
Um, I liked it quite a bit, though. I, I have a copy of this. I had set it up and kind of learned it ahead of PAX with the hope that we get a chance to play it. Um, and I'm glad I bought it. So I like for me, I need to play it some more before I could say it's a, a play or a buy, but I will say that I'm glad I have it and I do look forward to playing it more. Okay. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, as you started out with, I think there are certainly elements in this game, at least aesthetically, some some functionally but or mechanically, but at least aesthetically, that play like Brass and Barrage. So yeah. you do not need to know those games in order to be able to play this game. In fact, I think that w- could <laughs> can and will actually get in your way. So I, I think that's part of the aspects. Like, as you mentioned, I think the act- these little action tiles, which, again, if you're thinking Brass, they're like little railroad tiles, which they are, right? They're transportation tiles to go back and forth. So these typical transportation tiles to, to create your network are also what allows you to do the things in the game. And they're essential to your gameplay. So having the right types and the amount that you need to be able to play to the board to build your network, but also to be able to use for actions, but also to be able to, when you use them for actions, go to your main board so that you're able to get your all of your upkeep, all your refresh you know, resources and and meeples and victory points. So you are certainly you certainly need them for a lot of things and they are certainly in short supply because there is a constant fight back and forth of you know where where am I where do I need to put this? You know like right. I need I need I need it out there for my network, but I also need it to, to use the action, but I also need it to be able to be able to ensure that I have enough so I get as much upkeep as possible. So that primary aspect is really challenging it's also interesting because there is a, there is a market where you could pick up more of those tiles but again you need to have the opportunity and or ability to be able to do so and you're only going to be able to do that from those tiles so that's the rub of the whole game more or less beyond that as you mentioned anthony it, the end game scoring is massive there's just a lot of it there's yeah and like practically right. everything scores. It also has one of these, I guess, board mechanics where, and we've seen this in a lot of games, I'm, and I'm blanking at the moment, but I, there's dozens of these games where at a certain phase during the game, a random tile that's placed at the beginning of the game scores a certain thing. So, you know, like road score or building score or certain enough meeple score that's and these are all random tiles that are set up at the start of the game. I think uh that game where Teletum, sorry, Teletum. That game has those kind of random scoring for the different phases and those are kind of put out there. That's one of many games like that. So this has that kind of thing, but they all score at the end of the game. So based upon what's out there on the board and what you know what scores more or less depending on where it is on that tracker you want to focus more towards that. So I don't think at any point any of us knew where we were as far as scoring is concerned. No. Certainly if you have very good board placement, you know, as far as where your things are, excellent. But again, because there's so many point salad scoring opportunities, plus those the bonuses on the right, plus 12 other things that are happening in the game, plus your own individual play board. So even if 
It would never happen. I could see and remember based on, on the board where everyone's points are. I would never be able to see someone else's, you know, tech track to see what they're scoring off and what they're, you know, what points they have. It's just too much. You play the best game you can, and then you score it. And then you see where you land as far as scoring is concerned. I don't think I ever had a sense of where I was as far as scoring is concerned. I don't think anybody did. But I don't think it necessarily brought down the fun because, just like I was saying, it has some brass and barrage elements to it. It also allowed elements of those games to be played in a much more broad, loose environment. It wasn't like Brass or Barrage, if you didn't do the right thing or you built somewhere and then someone didn't build next to you, you're dead. Like, that's that's the game, right? This was very much like, we want you to enjoy Brass and Barrage in a more open, welcoming format. So, hey, you want to start a network? Throw a tile down or throw a building down. You want to, you want to jump across the board? You can do that too. That's your network, but that's also your network. Don't worry, you don't have to pay for other people's tracks. You have to pay for their generators, but it's a it's a money which by that point in the game you already are in a good spot. So yeah. I enjoyed the game. I don't know. I'll have to play it a bunch more to know if the point saladness of the game and also the looseness of the track, because we were playing with somebody and he's like, Oh, I, I built a tech level of my track, so now my now my uh railroad tracks here are multicolored, so I don't have to worry about my player board. It wasn't me or you, it was somebody else we were playing with. He's like, I don't have to worry about money, I don't have to worry about getting income for points or meeples, everything is now everything. And I was like, well, that's fine, but also, that's kind of of not fun, right? The the rules of the game are what makes the game fun. If at some point, you can break two-thirds of the rules of the game, I don't know. That doesn't, it doesn't seem much fun. Like, I did have one of those things where, like, I could generate power anywhere. I don't need anything. Like, I just randomly generate power. I'm like, all right. <laughs> just like, we're just, we're throwing the whole th- theme out the door. We're just like, it's magic now. I'm like, all right. <laughs> There's a lot of instances of that in the game based on the rules. Like, it, it is like like what you said. It's like they looked at Barrage and Brass and, like, these games are very fun, but. They're also punishing. And if you make a mistake, you're stuck with that mistake for a very long time and you're probably going to lose. I didn't get that feeling in this game because early in the game, I went to the far side of the map and there was no power until about halfway through the game. And I, I still won. It's like, And it was a mistake. I shouldn't have started there. I, I knew that fairly quickly, but I'm like, well, this is where I started. This is where my network is. And I could move my network and build somewhere else, but I don't really want to. This is where I put all my turbines. So I'm staying here. Whereas one of the people we're playing with put it in the bottom corner and it had immediate access to power. Um, but I still made it work because the game is very forgiving in that way. Like the technologies give you a lot of ways to shortcut things. Um, you can throw a track down anywhere, like you said. So I think if you're like turned off by, if you like heavy heroes, but you're turned off by those games that are just like punishingly brutal, if you make a mistake early, this is not one of those. So if you're thinking like I don't like Brass or Barrage because of that, th- that's not a reason to avoid this game. Like I'm not saying you'll like this game necessarily, but it's not a good reason sure. to avoid this game. I would kind of equate it to, in a way, Agricola and then Caverna, because Agricola, mm. yeah, with Brass and especially Barrage, if you do if you build the wrong things in Barrage and you can't benefit of, of other people using your stuff, 
that's going to be a hard night for you. So like Agricola is like that. Like if you don't build properly and get all the things that you need, it's a bad time. But Caverna comes along right. and it's like, you could build anything and anything is food and points come from everywhere. And you're like, oh, thank you, Caverna. But sometimes things could be a little bit too loose. And I, I felt like this, I think that might be the one criticism about this game that might people might find is just, it's too loose. Yeah. And the point scoring is just all over the place. And the tech boards, which are fun, are also like way too powerful. Like it's just, it's a lot. And a lot of times in our yeah. game, a lot of people who already had played the game kept going back and going, oh, I, I get, I, I was supposed to get a point. Or I was supposed to get a money because of this tech and this tech and this tech and this tech. So there's a lot of stuff on the board. And then also, I think you mentioned, Anthony, which wasn't familiar with, was also the idea that, and again, this is how you know, the dynamics of the game, where you, how you're able to be able to drop a star in a certain section on that track allows you to put out is it the nucleum anthony that little cube that nucleum in in the yeah. in the in yeah. the, the f- it turns on the power plant so you get to choose where that goes so my for example my area didn't get one until the very end of the game so some of that's luck some of that's planning if you're able to place down there first and you're in that particular area again that's neither good or right. bad that's just how the game plays but again it is that kind of a little more randomness as far as uh, gameplay is concerned. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so that's Nucleum. Um, we'll be talking about it more. We've got end of the year stuff mm-hmm. coming up. I think my preliminary rating on this is like high play, low buy. I need to play it more. I want to, I want to play it solo too. Cause I've heard decent things about that. Um, but one play is late at night is not enough. No, definitely so not. We'll yeah. I'm, I'm around a play right now so i'll definitely yeah. play it myself again and, and get to the table a lot more and, and see how it plays out but uh there's a lot to like there at the very least right all right uh another game we played that was pretty popular uh is star wars unlimited now that they did have this available for demo at gen con as well but it was very hard to get a table at gen con um, it was much easier at pax my son and i stood in line for about 10 minutes got a table we we're able to learn the game pretty quickly so this is the new TCG coming from Fantasy Flight, um, which means it'll exist for about a year and a half and then go away. Because that's what Fantasy Flight does. Uh, but it is a Star Wars based TCG in which you play head to head. And uh, I played as Darth Vader and the Empire and my son played as Luke and the Rebels. And, and the way the game works is every turn you have the option to place one of the cards from your hand face down as a resource. Resources are just resources. They are not lands. They're not energy. So it doesn't have like the variability of like magic or Pokemon or any of those other games. We have multiple types of resources based on the type of card you want to play. Um, all resources can power anything, right? And you build that up. So it, it's like Hearthstone in that way, right? You just have a pool of energy to work with. Um, and then you play cards from your hand to either the ground or the air combat side. And you will be fighting it out on those sides. And either of those locations can attack the opponent's base. The base has 30 health and you're trying to kill it. So first person to kill the other person's base is the winner of the game. Um, You also have a hero that's in front of you. Obviously, we played as Luke and Vader, but I'm sure other decks will have other heroes. Uh, And these heroes are are very powerful. Uh, If you get enough resources in front of you, you can flip them over for free and they become a, a unit on the map. So uh, 
in my case, Vader needed seven resources out, which takes six turns in the game because you start with two. And he flips over and he's like a, a five attack, eight um, health, right? So like a lot. And he can do a lot of things. Um, and so the game is very interesting. I had a lot of fun with it. it it's, it's a quick, it's back and forth. I can see it being like one of those games that maybe could run a little long, but not crazy long. You know, like it's going to be 15 to 30 minutes in that sweet spot for a TCG. Um, I could see where the variability is going to come in. It felt very thematic. I like the artwork that they've gone with for this. It's kind of like a little bit raised um, comic book style, but not not the Fantasy Flight House style they've been using for years for Star Wars. It's like a new style, which I appreciate. Um, my son, absolutely in love with the game. Just over over the moon. It's like we go in there. I'm like, you can buy a game when we're done today. Let me know what you want. And he's like, I want that. I'm like, it's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait till March. Um, it's also a TCG. So I can't just buy you the game uh, and get a starter set. And then you got to buy your own packs. So, you know, playing the game, I was like, I wish this was an LCG because this would be fun if I could just buy boosters sure. for it every month or expand get special decks, whatever. It's a TCG, which means very expensive, secondary market nonsense. And again, Fantasy Flight does not have a strong history of supporting these things. So I'm not going to get my hopes up. I will, I've already pre-ordered a starter set and one booster box, and that'll probably be it. Because then me and my son can play out, you know, two or three decks and just play back and forth. And that's probably all we really need. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very good game. I'm, I'm excited for it to exist. So I just wish it wasn't a TCG. I'm tired of these things. <laughs> like they're so expensive, no more. Uh, and the market can't support it. It won't succeed because the market can't support it. So I, that's a separate rant. But the game itself, and, and and you know what? That's part of it is like such good mechanics and interesting decision making space. I wish it wasn't wasted on you know like this hyper capitalist system. Uh, like Magic the Gathering, brilliant game. I wish it wasn't a CCG, right? Um, Similar here. Like, I don't know if this rises to the level of brilliant, but I thought it was very good. And I do look forward to playing more with my son. I don't look forward to being tempted to buy a bunch of stuff for it. How does it rate against the recent Star Wars deck builder game? The two-player version? Uh, I, it's more interesting. Like, the, the Star Wars deck building game is great because it's a contained box and it has a lot of interesting decisions. But this has multiple um, combat arenas. It has multiple decisions you have to make around resource allocation. Um, there's like a timing mechanism to when you make your big move and how you get there. Uh, so it's, it's more strategic. Uh, whereas Star Wars, the deck building is game is almost purely tactical. So I like that. Uh, I like both games a lot, but I think this is going to be a more strategic planning game. And it, I can see it being the kind of game where you could have a really strong meta that goes in two separate directions. You have ground and air. So you build out two separate metas and you try to like have enough leeway in there that you can kind of maneuver the deck in the direction it needs to go based on what you draw. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I just wish it wasn't a TCG. <laughs> That's all I can say. Did you get to play <laughs> the game. Dark Vader card, I Am Your Father, that hits for seven points unless the other player goes, no! Yeah, that seemed like he was joking, but then he didn't I know, laugh. that was weird. <laughs> yeah, that, so the guy running the organized play for Fantasy Flight, he described this card. It's my favorite card. I'm like, that's not a serious thing you're describing. 
Is this is this real? Um, apparently it is. There's a card in the in the dark side deck where if you play it, it's super powerful unless the other person yells no. All right. Well, we'll have to see when it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna love the tournament rulings on that card. Someone's gonna be like, um, excuse me, Proctor, Proctor. He didn't yell no. I'm like, I said no. Like you didn't you yell, yell no. no. Nobody heard you. <laughs> no one heard. Did anybody hear him yell no? No, you didn't yell no. Weird. Very weird. It looked good and, and everyone was really excited to jump online for that. And so yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um all right. Uh another game you and I both got a chance to play was Evil Corp. This was a 1v1 or 2v2 uh, dueling area control game in which you are racing for two victory points. So it's a bag builder, um, and you each play a corporation of evil, I think, was the theme. Uh, So you have, like, goblins and wizards and all sorts of bad stuff trying to terrify the villages the most. They a little belabored on the theming, but the artwork was nice. Uh, but you're, you're drawing tiles from your bag, five at the start of every round. You're placing them out into the spaces in front of you, and you're trying to vie for control of two separate arenas. There's two villages there. Um, if you pull the control enough in your direction, you move up on this track. And if you get to the end of the track, you get the victory point. Once you get two victory points, you win the game. So it's it's like a tug-of-war type of game with some elements that kind of build over time because it is a bag builder. So if you get your bag is built out properly and you build a nice engine for it, um, you're probably going to win because <laughs> that's how the game works. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I like bag builders and I like these tug of war back and forth mm-hmm. games, but also I don't like games where I don't get to do things. And this is one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cute artwork reminded me of small world. As you mentioned, it's a different, different mechanics come into play. So the bag building, the area control, the special abilities and a little bit of marketplace seems like it could play for with anybody as far as you know families concerned or gateway gamers are concerned nothing too complicated other than the fact that like depending on the number of players or obviously the iconography that comes into play and how you you put those things out and manage your bags so yeah it was fun fun game yeah yeah i enjoyed it uh another game i played with my son uh at the hatchet games booth was um Nautilus Island. So this is from one of the designers of Draftosaurus and the Loop, uh, Sea Salt and Paper. And it's a fairly basic, just almost a drafting game of sorts, where you are going to move your worker to a location and either take the cards that are there or play a number of cards from your hand based on how many cards are there. And you're trying to build out sets of different types of treasure. As you build those sets, you take these um, scoring tiles to kind of amplify the value of those sets. It's quick it's back and forth it's two to four players uh it takes like 20 to 30 minutes um very light but kind of perfect sweet spot for younger children or like preteens with short attention spans which is describes both of my kids so uh, it was it was a fun interesting time i wouldn't say it's something that you would play with your gamer group necessarily it's not even necessarily a filler level game it's definitely more like family weight but as a family weight game i I had a good time with it nice uh other game that we played at that booth is in the footsteps of darwin so this one has a little bit more going on with it um so on your turn you're going to move the beagle um darwin's ship around a, a grid of 
three by three tiles representing different animals and people from the life of Darwin. Um, you're going to take one of the tiles in that row or column, and based on the number of the tile, whether it's one, two, or three away from you, you will move that many spaces with the ship. You have little tokens that let you kind of move the ship extra. Um, you have opportunities to pick up extra scoring tiles if you cover up one of the tiles later. And you're placing them into your own personal tableau based on the type of animal. So whether it's a bird or a mammal, a lizard, or an insect. Um, and then there's like color coding as well based on the continent they're from. So we have Africa and Asia, uh, Europe and Australia, I believe. So you're trying to build sets effectively and the scoring points based on the sets that you create. Um, you get extra points if you complete a column or row. You get extra points if you complete, uh, get these compass tiles. It's pure set collection, but the theme is interesting. The artwork's really strong. It's like these beautiful illustrations kind of like from the journal of Darwin. Um, and it's, it's got a lot of interesting elements. My daughter asked a lot of questions about like, who's that person and who's that person, which is always fun in a game like this based on historical elements. Um, my wife and I actually really liked this game, but my daughter, because she got to pick a game as well to take home, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, she was like, it's fine. A little too, like, she's like, it's a little too much about the points. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Abby, <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, That's what we're doing here. She's a great thematic girl. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I enjoyed it a lot, actually. So it's, it's something I might consider picking up down the line just because I actually had fun with it. Um, the game that she did end up picking up is the exact opposite of this game. So, <laughs> uh, this is Catastrophe, uh, A Tale of Nine Lives, and, or A Game of Nine Lives. And it's, I don't even know how you describe it. It's like Munchkin-like, but like also has a bunch of random activities in it. So, you are cats, and there's one dog, and you start <laughs> on level nine of this tower. And at the very bottom of the tower, after one, is the Grim Ooh. Reaper. And you are, on your turn, almost every action you take going to be knocking each other down the tower, so using up your lives, your nine lives, getting closer to the Grim Reaper. So if you are the last cat standing, you win. Um, and so some of these cards are simple. A lot of these cards are simple. You play it, and it says, uh, pick an opponent. They have to roll a die. If, if they don't roll a five or a six, they lose a life. So very basic, again, munchkin-level action, actions here. Um, but then they start to get a little crazy. Like they have these action cards that come out and these catastrophe cards. And it might be like, everybody stand up and take a step back from the table and then throw a die. And if the die lands on the card, you gain a life. And if it falls on the floor, you lose a life. Something silly like that. Or everybody stare, look at each other in the eyes and meow repeatedly until you either blink or laugh. So it's okay. full of these silly kid activities that my daughter loves. So. That's this is why she picked this game. I will say, as far as this type of game goes, because I've over the life of being a parent, there's been several of this type of game. Um, this one has the most effort put into it from the designers. The artwork's really interesting. There's a lot of really clever, fun cat puns. Some of the little challenges they give you are actually legitimately funny. Um, some of them are not. <laughs> so it definitely falls in between. I would say this is like a beer and pretzels type of game if you're adults or if you have kids this is a good fit for children um it's not a bad game i don't dislike it there are some of these that i actively dislike i don't mind playing this but it, it is what it is right it's it's not trying to be anything more than that so it, this is for families of, of children i think 
for the most part. Um, and with that in mind, I just kind of wanted to mention cats, cat games <laughs> were everywhere, right? So there was this one, Catastrophe. Um, there was Wizard Kittens, which is another game my daughter really liked. Uh, House of Cats. Um, there was a fourth one I'm trying to think of. There was like Cats versus Corgis was another like fighting game. There was a lot of cat Nine games. Nine Lives. Nine Lives. Boop. Boop. Boop is the other one. Yeah. They had a giant version of Boop there. They did. Um, so I don't know if cats are the new zombies or, or what's going th- on there. Yeah, I think that's how we I think that's how we came down with it, right? So you had you had zombies, you had pirates, you had Vikings. I guess the original original was ninjas, probably. Right. But it seems like cats are the new zombies. There were a lot of cat games and a lot of cat games. Yeah, I didn't realize it until Sunday because my daughter was like, "I see a cat across the hall. Let's go find that game. I want to play it." Um, so yeah, there, there's a. If you like cats, it's a good time to be a board gamer. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's Sounds no good. It's no Isle of Cats, but you know, cats be everywhere. So that was that was some of the stuff we played. Um, a lot of other games we've you know, either picked up or have a chance to, to kind of take a look at here in the next few weeks. We'll be talking about them in future reviews ahead of our end of the year discussions. Um, but yeah, PAX was fun. A lot of interesting things. And I won a big stupid box. So that was fun. <laughs> it's always good to win a giant stupid box. I think that's that's the best part of uh, going to a game convention is winning giant stupid boxes of things. Because that's, you know, it's board games, man. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a real monkey paw situation. So, yeah. No. <laughs> There was this woman and her child. They spent a lot of money at one of the booths. They got a bunch of raffle tickets. They gave them to my wife. And it's like, here, use these. We're leaving. And then my wife gave them to me because she was leaving. And <laughs> 259, we're like, you and I are going back into the hall. And I'm like, oh, right. I have these raffle tickets. I guess I should go stand there. I, I told my daughter I would. And lo and behold, I win the grand prize, which is a several hundred dollar box of Pokemon, whatever. So. um it was enormous and uh, fun to carry around, but thankfully we had a place to put it. I tell you, it's a thing. Yeah, no, it's it was a it was a weird event, but also fun. Um, and eventually, I got home and I'm like, "Where am I putting this? I got to figure out what to do with this." <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, it was really cool. So that's Pax Unplugged. Uh, it's it's a unique convention in many many ways. Um, especially for us because it is so close to where we live and you know it's not all the new games not all the hotness of what's coming up but a lot of like this is what's coming to kickstarter next year and also here's all the stuff that came out this last year it's like a weird in-between space and so you, you can kind of tell that from the games that we end up playing absolutely all right everyone so that's everything for this time until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all I see you at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.